Our scripture reading today is from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 to 17. Let me go ahead and read this for us. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral and unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our passage today opens up with the word therefore, and uh, that's a helpful word because it's pointing us very intentionally to uh, what what came before uh, so that we can follow the logic of the writer, and and in this case, the logic of God. And so point number one for us today is where we have to begin. It's a reminder. Uh, It's a reminder of what came before, and that is uh, the point of our faith. What is the point of our faith? Here's a reminder. Um, As the Jewish uh, Christian apostle is writing to Jewish Christians, uh, hence the title of this letter, um, he knew he was writing to uh, a church that was suffering persecution, um, and not only from Gentiles, but also from the Jews as well. And this was a group of Christians who were very much culturally, religiously, politically dislocated and and homeless. and, and he knew that their struggle currently was uh, partly this. If we are Christians now, and if we have put our faith in the Messiah, why are we still suffering so much? Uh, why are things not appearing to, to get better? Why, why is it still so hard uh, to live on this side of heaven? Um, and the author has been giving them this encouragement and this reminder right, about faith and what living by faith and dying by that faith looks like. And here's, here's one uh, point of that reminder I want to bring your attention to again. Let's look at verse 2. Verse 2 of this chapter said, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right, the first reminder about the point of faith is this, uh, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Uh, Are you still looking to him? This Lord and Savior, uh, this master that you follow, who, by the way, suffered tremendously in this life, who died at the young age of 33, rejected by his countrymen, even his own family, uh, betrayed by the justice system, and now seated on the throne of God. Is that, is that your Lord and your Savior? Is that the one you're following in life and in death? If so, I mean, that's got to affect the way that you view your own suffering in the here and now. Uh, it has to give you a perspective about this side of heaven, on this side of the, the grave, that the world cannot uh, provide you. Here's what the world says. Uh, the world says, your suffering always means everything is going wrong, nothing is going right. Nothing can possibly be right when you're hurting. That's what the world says. Um, Of course, we acknowledge as Christians that sin is the cause of all brokenness and suffering and and hurt. Uh, And therefore, we have a rational, actually, rational way of understanding 
why this world is so broken and why we cry out against the status quo. But for those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, there's more to the story. Um, no matter what we're suffering, no matter how great our loss, um, we know and we believe that we are still being perfected by our Savior. Jesus Christ is not only the founder, but also the perfecter of our faith. That's what happens to us when we consider Him. We understand that we're still being made complete because we're promised completion. And therefore, our suffering is not something that is uh, contradictory uh, to that. It is a part of that. It's very much a part of this process of completion. But when we lose that perspective, um, that's when we begin to carry this heart of entitlement, the spiritual entitlement that says, now I have faith in Jesus. He owes me a good life. Uh, he owes me wealth. He owes me physical health. What else is faith good for if Christ won't give me these things? But see, that's not living by faith. That's actually living by sight. That's assuming that God's promise, for, promise of salvation for us uh, is for us to find our happiness in the here and now and not to lead us to a better country. But as the author has been reminding us, the promise of salvation from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David till now is for us to enter into the better country and that is the heavenly one. And as long as we're here on the earth, we're nothing but sojourners and exiles. And the kingdom of God is not of this world. The kingdom of God is not a place where we can point to and say, there it is, here it is. It's the new city of God prepared by God that he will bring down on the last day. Until then, we're, we are exiles. Until then, we are dislocated. We're seeking a home. And that leads us to another reminder about our faith, and that is found in verse 7. Verse 7 of passage, uh, this uh, chapter, it said, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? So here's a second point of reminder about the point of our faith. Um, from looking to Jesus, uh, we have to move on then to looking to who we are now in Jesus, and that is children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. What does that mean for us in the here and now? Uh, it means our God, who is now our Heavenly Father, will discipline us because He loves us. He will discipline us because He loves us. He will not leave us alone uh, in our sinful habits, our sinful temperaments, but He will conform us to the image of Himself and His Son. And the great privilege we have as children of God now is that we can understand all of our suffering, all of our trials, as not punishment, but that discipline that perfects us. And therefore, we, we look at suffering and trials in this life um, from a completely different light, from a different uh, perspective. It is not uh, that suffering gets in the way of our happiness, gets in the way of our ultimate purpose and meaning in life. No, uh, as children of God, this is part of the process of conforming to Christ. 
therefore, fulfilling our purpose in life. Fulfilling our purpose in life. And our faith in Jesus Christ is what enables us to see the world through this perspective. It's our faith in Jesus Christ, who is, our, is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Faith in Christ tells us still today um, that we're not here to be as comfortable as we can be by faith. We're here to conform to Christ as much as possible by faith. It's not, it's not about chasing after comfort, but about conformity, conformity to Christ. That's something that Jewish Christians had uh, trouble with, especially when um, it came to temple worship. The, according to the author, the repeated sacrifices that cannot take away sins were still being offered. But he says, that when the new covenant has come, the old is ready to vanish away. When the better High priest is here. The old priesthood is ready to vanish away. That is to say, Christ is enough. Your faith in Jesus Christ is enough to draw you near to God and to get you through this life all the way to the promised land, the eternal home. So you cannot think of your current suffering as punishment for your sins, as God reminding you how out of his favor you are, how you've totally messed up and he's angry at you. See, that would only drive us to atone more for our sins, to, to offer more sacrifices. To See, we, we can be very hard on ourselves and think, I, I deserve this suffering because of what I've done. But see, what that's doing is really offering up a second cross, a second offering, as if Christ's offering was not enough. But the author very explicitly told us in this, throughout this letter, his offering is once and for all once for all time sacrifice for sins, and he is enough. And so when we consider our suffering then, we can only see it as God purifying us, refining us, drawing us closer and closer to himself. Or as C.S. Lewis put it, God whispers to us in our pleasure and speaks in our conscience, but when it comes to our pain, he shouts. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And what has God been shouting uh, in the pain of the Jewish Christians um, receiving this letter and suffering persecution. And, uh, and in a few years, they're about to suffer even the loss of this, this temple, this physical temple that they consider to be a sign of their home. What is God preparing them for? This earth is not your home. This world of tribulation is not the point. Um, and like your spiritual forefathers, you must see and greet the eternal home from afar. Um, that's the point of your faith in Christ. Your inheritance is still awaiting you in the heavens where Christ is. It's not in your bank account. Uh, it's not in your, uh, your physical health, your, how much your body weighs. Uh, it's not in your vocational life. It's not in your academic career. It's not in your marriage or in your parenting. It's in Christ. That's where your true inheritance is. Faith helps us see through, through our circumstances to where Christ is and long for where he is, long for what he has in store for us. So in summary, uh, in summing up the first point, we are not to look at our circumstances and wonder, you know, what does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about how well I'm doing? 
Instead, we are to look to God first, look to Christ, and through him, wonder at his goodness and his graciousness and trust that he is still perfecting us through all of our life circumstances and that nothing in life or death, um, nothing in heaven or on earth can separate us from the love of our Heavenly Father. Let's remember that as we move on to the second point. And, and here's the second point. There's an encouragement here about the exercise of our faith. The exercise of our faith. So now we move on to verse 12 in our passage where it says, Therefore, therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Now, in a, in a way, it's so clear who he's speaking to. Um, people who are weak. People who are just ready to give up. Uh, people who are lame, put out of joint. People who need healing. But yet, see, the, the encouragement here is to, in a way, uh, more than anything, fix our postures, uh, our spiritual posture. Stand up, straight, straighten up your back. Uh, maintain good posture. It's like when a friend tries to help you lift that last, you know, the last bench press with the right posture. Even though you're ready to give up, even though you, you really have nothing left, your hands are ready to drop to the ground, but you maintain posture, you give one last push, and it looks ugly, it's messy, you're, you're screaming, you're groaning in pain, but you know it will contribute to your growth. You know it will contribute to your growth. Um, and that's what this verse is assuming and, and teaching us. It's about posture. It's not about always being strong. In your weakness, maintaining a good posture, and that will contribute to your growth. It tells us that the Christian exercise of faith doesn't look like one successful moment after another. It's filled with moments of weakness. It's filled with ugliness and messiness and hands ready to drop to the ground and give up. That's a normal part of the Christian life. Our weakness, our tiredness, our occasional wandering from the fold of God. But see, we have to be encouraged here to continue to exercise our faith, to keep our posture, to straighten our backs to begin lifting our hands to God once again. And then there's this language about making, his, making straight paths for our feet. And, and that means heading in, the, in a certain direction, heading in the right direction. And in that direction, we find healing along the way. There's healing. In other words, there's, there's more to your testimony um, than your weakness and your helplessness. There's healing as well. I hope you see how encouraging um, this is. The exercise of the Christian faith, as described here by the apostle, assumes uh, we will not succeed and succeed and succeed, but we will struggle and struggle and struggle and find healing and restoration. And that is to say, you know, whatever you do, however, how great, however great your struggle is, don't give up. Don't stop running. Uh, that's the point of faith. Stay in this race. Keep running this race. Um, it's, the, it's the persistence and the perseverance that gets you through the finish line, and that's all that matters. 
it's not about finishing first. Christ finished first. Uh, for you and me, it's about finishing the race. And this is what the author also means by putting out, being put out of joint. When you, when you give up, in a sense, uh, that's being disjointed, dislocated from God and his purpose for your life. Uh, there's an image of someone who's unable to, to move at all, uh, move their hands and feet at all. There's no spiritual movement. There's no sign of life. But see, that's in a way the picture of an inactive faith um, or a dead faith. What is persistence then? What is being put back into place is to then transfer your faith away from yourself away from your situation, away from your feelings, but putting your faith firmly in Christ and Christ alone and all of his promises, all of his uh, kingdom promises that we are yet to enjoy and not giving up. Keep running towards Christ. Um, faith is what keeps us going in, in the face of trial and suffering and enables us to say God is good, he is still good, and he will be glorified through this. And you lift your hands, and you lift your heart towards him in worship. It's healing in our brokenness, it's hope uh, in our despair, uh, it's strength in our weakness. That's what exercising faith looks like. If anybody ever tells you that by faith you can Avoid all weakness. You can live your best life now. Run for the hills. That is not the gospel. Uh, that is not true Christian faith. True Christian faith is a testimony filled with wounds, hurts, weaknesses, and trials, and failures, with testimonies also of healing, restoration, and of a better promise of a better kingdom and a better inheritance. Now, as a way of summarizing this in a way, and giving us a visual kind of uh, case study to reinforce certain elements of, of these points, the author mentions Esau. Esau. Uh, he's sort of the anti-faith hero. You know, we looked at the hall of faith and all the other people of faith that Christians can be encouraged by. Um, and then there's Esau. Now, think about that. Here are the first century uh, Christians um, Jewish Christians were leading the church and being persecuted by Jews and Gentiles, kicked out of synagogues, kicked out of their own church, whole empires against them. In a few years, they're going to destroy the temple. And yet the author thinks that it's important to mention Esau, someone who lived thousands of years ago. Why is there no talk about a uh, a political reform. Why, why is there no talk about taking over a, a geographical land where they can worship freely again? Here's why. Because the kingdom of God is still, as Jesus said, not of this world. Christ did not come to take over a political position or win a political election or take over an earthly throne. He came to rule our hearts to rule our hearts. First and foremost, his subduing and conquering is the sinner's heart. Um, and to turn the heart of stone into the heart of flesh. That's why Esau is being highlighted here. 
It's his heart the author is pointing our attention to. The problem greater than our circumstances, greater than our physical suffering, greater than religious persecution even, is a heart of bitterness, heart of unholiness, immorality that we see in Esau's heart and in our hearts as well. That's why the problem mentioned here is not Caesar. The problem mentioned here is not Herod. The problem mentioned here is not the unbelieving Jews. It's the heart of Esau, the heart of unbelief. Do you see the kind of the overarching consistency here in terms of the theme of Hebrews? The author has been pointing the Jewish Christians to the spiritual worship of God in the spiritual temple, which is Christ. He is the the curtain torn into. He's the true high priest offering the true offering that can take away sins. And it's not about the physical temple. That was merely a shadow of the thing that is to come. And and pointing also then to the eternal country that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob longed for, and not the, the temporal one that can be won and lost and won and lost, but the eternal country, the city prepared by God that he will bring down to earth. Christ is all we need. And he is still all we need now. He's still the answer to our greatest problem, the problem of sin in the human heart. How do you know that you are truly of Christ, that Christ is truly in you? How do you know that you are not just giving Christ this lip service and, and, and serving an idol on the side because you were baptized? No. Uh, because you're part of the visible church? No. Esau had the covenant sign. Esau was part of the covenant family. And yet he fell away. He was unholy, meaning an apostate. Uh, What was the problem for Esau? His heart remained unchanged. His heart was defiled. His heart was filled with bitterness and anger, and more than anyone, towards God. God has robbed me of my earthly blessings. God is not giving me what I want now. Christians, did you know uh, that this is the anti-faith? It's the anti-faith. It's it's what the prodigal son demanded. I want what's mine now. And Christ came to die for that heart that is entitled, that is unrepentant, that is not longing for the eternal home that he has prepared for us but wanting to make a home for ourselves, a kingdom for ourselves, ruling with our own will, our own knowledge of good and evil in the here and now. Our primary concern with what is wrong in this world has to be at that heart level where we are not surrendering to God, where we're holding on to our bitterness, holding on to our entitlement, holding on to our materialism. God's primary concern in bringing the gospel down to earth and preaching the gospel to the world is not, it's not to put someone in a political office. It's to change our hearts. And I hope you understand that premise, that very important premise of the gospel. The problem of sin is not primarily seen in liberalism or conservatism, in in Republican or Democrats. It's about the human heart. It's still about the heart of stone that wants to hold on to our own entitlement, 
to our own knowledge of what's good and evil. I want to put it to you like this, just to really highlight this point, because I, uh, I feel convicted in my spirit to, to the need to highlight this point. You can get into heaven with a completely mistaken political view that God will correct when you're seeing him face to face. But you cannot enter heaven with a heart that's unchanged, with a heart that is bitter, with a heart that is ultimately unforgiving, with a heart that is filled with wrath and anger, a heart that is unwilling to surrender, let go of sexual immorality, a heart that is unchanged by Christ will not enter the kingdom of God. I hope that does something to bring a measure of sobriety um, because that's, that's what the author is doing. In the face of all that the Jewish Christians are facing, he doesn't, he doesn't talk about anything political, he doesn't talk about anything, even forewarning them uh, about the destruction of the temple. He's talking about Esau. Don't be like Esau. Don't become bitter in your heart. Don't hold on to anger because that's unbelief. Uh, that's not trusting in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The simple diagnostic here uh, that we can do as a way of application to press this further and, and bring this home, uh, it's this. Uh, let me first say what it's not. Diagnosing whether Christ is ruling in your heart. It's not how have you voted. Uh, it's not what are your views on current affairs. It's this, are you still bitter? Are you still vengeful? Are you still harboring anger towards your enemy without mercy? Are you, are you still resisting God's command to love them, to pray for them? Are you resisting God's call to be a light in the darkness and not be the light under the basket hiding from the darkness? If you've identified the dark, if you can call out the darkness and say, you see, that's what's wrong with our country. What have you done to reach them and be a light unto them? What have you done to bring them into your home, into your heart? What have you done to show your compassion and love for them? This is where faith, the rubber of faith meets the road. See, Esau is here to be a mirror mirror against our own hearts to see if there are idols that we have to repent of, whether we have been like him in treasuring, cherishing the now, the immediate, the physical, and losing sight of the heavenly, losing sight of the eternal, losing sight of God. Where is your love really? What are you, what are you treasuring the most? Um, what are you defending the most? Is it something that's fading away in the here and now, or is it the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his will, his commands? Verse 15 says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Don't fail to obtain the grace of God. See, this is a matter of life and death. This is a matter of, of whether you go home to God or fall away from him, whether you are holding on to the grace 
of God. It's not about what's happening around you, whether in you you have received the grace of God and whether that grace has transformed you, has changed your heart. And whether that grace is also conforming you more and more to the image of Christ. Again, it's not about how is your faith helping you live a comfortable life, but how is your faith conforming you to the image of Christ? Let's take some time today on this Lord's Day to reflect on this. Um, you know, consider how suffering can really stir up our emotions, um, and rightfully so. It's it's a it's like it's almost like our immune system working. It's it's a right thing to respond and react to suffering, but in that there's something that can be revealed about what we really treasure, what it is that we really rest in. Um, is there still hope? Is there still joy? Is there still peace? If our treasures are laid up in heaven, then the answer is always yes. The answer is always yes. Because I have the Lord, I will be perfected. Because I have the Lord, I have Jesus as my high priest, I'm still headed in the direction of healing and restoration. Because I have the Lord, I will still have a testimony of God's strength in my weakness. Because I have Christ, it is well with my soul. So I hope that you will find uh, the encouragement here to the Jewish Christians to be an encouragement to you today and to me today um, to place Christ once again as the object of our faith, to remember, to remember, to look to him and to look to his promises, look to our sonship, our adoption, and to exercise our faith daily, not away from our suffering, but in the midst of our suffering and finding what our testimony is that glorifies God through that, through our weakness, through our woundedness, through our hurt, through our pain, all because we're longing for what is not yet here, what is promised to us, but not yet fully here, and that is the kingdom of God. Let's consider him and rise up. Let's consider him and straighten our backs, get in the right posture, keep our focus on the finish line where Christ is, where he will greet us, where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, where he will make everything wrong right again, where he will make all things new. Let's celebrate him, our, our older brother, uh, unlike, who, unlike Esau, who uh, sold his birthright, uh, birthright reluctantly um, to feed himself a meal. Jesus, he gave up his birthright willingly to feed us, to feed us with his own riches. What a, what a savior, what a friend, what a high priest, what a God we have in Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son. We pray you will strengthen our faith, lift us up, straighten our backs, so we can keep our focus on him and we can continue running this race towards home. That is not here. And while we're here, remind us we are ambassadors representing you in a foreign land. We're pointing people to the coming kingdom. We're pointing people to the city that you have prepared for us. And we're greeting it from afar by faith. In the meantime, Lord, uh, may we embrace your discipline. Uh, may we witness just the changing work, transformative work you're doing in our lives through our stories where, Lord, we have so many weaknesses and hurts and failures, 
And yet we see so much of your power, of your hope, of your gospel shining through us, the renewing work you're doing in our hearts. Would you continue to do that? Uh, Continue to bear spiritual fruit in us. Continue to use us as your agents of just uh, uh, spreading your goodness and and your your love, your joy, your your peace, your patience, your self-control in this world. Uh, where all these are so lacking. Use us, Lord. May we be your light in the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.